So we're going to be looking at a couple of parables. So, we're, uh, so chapter 13, um, the first section we're going to look at is from verse 31 to 33, and then we're going to jump ahead to verse 44. So chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning, whether you're a member of this church or whether you're just visiting this morning. uh, I hope that you find uh, the next little while as we look at what Jesus has been teaching in his parables a really helpful time. So um, if you don't know me and my family, you may not know that we spent 10 years living in Southeast Asia and just returned at the beginning of last year. Uh, We're doing mission work there. And... um, one of the great things about the place where we lived is just one hour's drive from where we lived, there was this active volcano, and it was just it was awesome. You could actually drive right up to the very top and, and, and just peek into the crater from, from the car park. Um, but if you had a bit of time and a bit of money, you could hire a guide, and then you could walk down from the main crater down the side of the volcano where there was a second, vol- uh, second crater uh, where there was bubbling water, and you could... You could boil an egg in the water and stick your feet in the ones that weren't so hot. It was, it was really interactive and, and re- really fun. So we would often take any guests that we had along to this volcano. Anyway, um, w- one time, not long before we returned to Australia, we had some guests come and we went, went along to the top crater and we hired a gr- guide and headed down along the side. And I got chatting to the local guide, who was a local Muslim man, as we headed down to the side. And um, I got asking him about these sort of... Uh, offerings that we were seeing as we were walking along. People would often go to mountaintops um, to do uh, sort of animistic offerings to spirits there because they believed they were closer to, to the spiritual beings up high on the mountain than they were down, down low. Uh, so I asked him about that. I said, why, why do people do this? And he said, oh, they're, they're, they're getting protection from evil spirits. Um, and I asked him, well, do you do this? Are you, are you afraid of evil spirits? And he said, yeah. Yeah, I do that. I'm afraid of evil spirits. Um, and then I said, what if God, the, the creator God, the God who created everything, had already done something to give you full protection from evil spirits? Would you be interested in knowing about that? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure I would be. So I said, oh, can I tell you a story from, from the holy books? And I went, 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 went ahead and, and told him the story of the time uh, that Jesus met this demon-possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes. And I told him how when, the, when this demon-possessed man met Jesus, it wasn't 
uh, Jesus, who was afraid of this evil spirit. It was evil spirits who screamed out in fear of Jesus and how Jesus showed his power over them by casting the spirits out and the man was freed and, and became a follower of Jesus. And I said, that same freedom from evil spirits is available to anyone today who wants to come before Jesus and, and begin following him. Would you be interested in, in, in finding out more about that? And the man, he looked genuinely interested in, in knowing how he could have this freedom from evil spirits, said, yeah, yeah, I would. And so we get, kept talking and I told him more about Jesus and eventually we got onto this topic of, the topic of sin. And this man, I, I knew he was a Muslim and I said, oh, as a Muslim, you, you believe something very similar to me and that is uh, that one day we'll die and we'll face our maker and unless our sin's been dealt with, uh, we're in big trouble, right? We'll, we'll miss out on, on eternity with our maker in heaven. You, you believe that, don't you? And he said, yes, yeah, I believe that the same as you. And so I said, well, can you tell me, what are you doing now to have that sin debt dealt with? And he explained all the things that he does as a Muslim, going to the mosque, um, giving alms, fasting, and so on. And then I said, well, what if all of those things are not going to be enough? Uh, Jesus actually taught that nothing we can do can be enough to wipe away all of that debt. Uh, but he also taught that he had come to deal with that debt for us. And, and I told the story of Jesus dying on the cross and, and he asked more questions and I, I explained that if he wanted to have that sin debt taken away, if he wanted to have that protection from evil spirits, uh, I, could, I could help him with that, telling him more about Jesus, linking him up with a local Christian. So I gave him my phone number and said, give me a call and I can line you up with someone. So I was, I was quite excited at the end of that day by that, with that conversation we'd had. And I went home and I waited for the phone call and I waited a day, a week, a month, many months, and the phone call never came. So as I was telling that story, you might have thought this is going to be one of those exciting missionary stories where someone comes to Christ. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't. The phone call never came. And that's kind of my point this morning. As people, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a, a person of the kingdom, um, we're called by our... Our, uh, our Lord Jesus, to do kingdom work. And, and part of that kingdom work is inviting other people to know about Jesus, to follow Jesus, to, to make disciples. It's a, one of the final commands we'll find in this Gospel of Matthew that we're walking through. So our, our calling is to do this kingdom work, but the reality is kingdom work can be hard. And often, as happened in this situation, uh, it seems just to lead to rejection. In fact, sometimes it leads to more than just rejection. Sometimes it can actually lead to trouble. I used to, I used to teach gospel sharing at the t two different colleges that I was working at in Southeast Asia. And, and the, um, the assignment for that subject um, was to go and share the gospel with a couple of people who weren't from your religion and then to write me a report on how it went and what lessons you learned from it. Um, one student, I was reading his assignment, and he said, I was on the bus and I started talking to the guy next to me about Jesus and he got really angry and he stood up and he started yelling at me and everyone in the bus stopped what they were doing and everyone was just looking at the two of us. And he was yelling, don't you dare talk to me about Jesus. And he said, and I felt really scared. Um, he went on to say that he, he got off at the next stop and, and it all kind of it came to nothing. Um, but it was just one of, those, one of those stories that says, yes, sometimes we can, when we do this kingdom work, it can lead to rejection, but it, it sometimes could lead to more. It could actually lead to trouble of some sort for us. 
Another sto story to illustrate that, I, I had another student. I'll call him Anto. It's not his real name, but I'll call him Anto. When he finished uh, at the Bible college where I was teaching, he became a full-time uh, evangelist, a full-time gospel sharer uh, in, in, a, in a very 100% sort of Muslim area. Um, one of the, f in the first few weeks of being, this being his job, he actually came across a couple who he shared the good news with, this young married couple, and they came to, to Jesus. They believed. They said they wanted to, to follow Jesus. He made a time with them to go back like a week later to, to start uh, discipling them, to start sharing what it means to be a follower of Jesus with them. And when he turned up, there was this big crowd of people, angry neighbours who'd found out what had happened, and they said to him, if you ever come back here again, we'll kill you. And so he'd gone home again that day without meeting the couple. Um, and I remember meeting up with him, because I was still sort of uh, meeting up regularly, even though he'd graduated from my, my school. And he said, I don't know what to do. Should I, should I go back or not? There's a real a real threat here. I'll come back to his story later, but just, just for now, I guess all I want to say is, yes, as kingdom people, we, we love Jesus, we love following him, and we have this, this call to invite people in to the kingdom, to do kingdom work. But kingdom work can be hard. There can be rejection, or there can even be trouble or threats. And the thing I want us to think about this morning is, what impact does that have on us? Um, I want to tell you a story about another student from my time back in Southeast Asia. Uh, when, we were do, when, when, when we had that um, assignment to share the gospel with someone who's not from your religion and then, and then write up on how it went, uh, this guy uh, didn't hand his assignment in. And eventually I went and said, oh, you haven't handed your assignment in. And he said, yeah, I didn't do it. And I said, why not? And he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen if I do tell the gospel to someone. You see, because kingdom work is hard, because it sometimes leads to rejection or to trouble, it can lead us to hold back, to, to play it safe. The response like that student there. Have you, ever, have you ever driven your car with the handbrake on? Something I've done more than, often than I'd like to admit. Um, What's it like? It, the car kind of goes, doesn't it? It doesn't, doesn't fail to work altogether. It goes, but it's not how a car's supposed to go. It's pretty, pretty uncomfortable. I want to suggest that uh, when we experience that kingdom work is hard, when we have some of these difficult experiences like I've, I've just shared, it can, it can initiate a process a bit like this, a process where uh, we experience some kind of rejection and trouble, and that leads to things like fear like that student who, who didn't do the assignment, or to doubt, something we're going to be thinking about in the coming weeks. Um, doubt. Now, am I really backing the right horse here if this is what's happening in my life when I'm following Jesus? And, and our solution to all of that can be something what I want to call like handbrake Christianity. We've, we've got these, these big commands from Jesus to, to, to make disciples, to live a self-sacrificial life, but when we experience the difficulty of that, some rejection or trouble or suffering, our response can be just to hold back from fully following those commands, from fully throwing ourselves into following Jesus. Yes, we're still, we're still followers, but we want to play it safe. We want to hold back. It's like driving with the handbrake on. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, can, can you identify with this process? Have you seen this process play out in your life before? I remember when we got back uh, to Australia at the beginning of last year, I remember I made a point of asking people early on, what's it like to be a Christian in Australia these days? We'd, we'd been living overseas for 10 years. It was really interesting just to see how many people had a response along these lines, kind of like, it's hard, we're, we're under attack, uh, we're considered to be the bad guys now. It's really hard to share your faith. People don't want to listen to what you have to say. Uh, in other words, people were saying it's rejection, it's trouble, it's difficult. Those kinds of answers. And so I just want to ask this morning, what impact does this have on you? Does it create fear? Is, is there doubt for you? Does it lead to some kind of driving with the handbrake on in your faith? Well, if you can identify with this process in your life, then I'm going to say that these parables towards the end of Matthew 13 uh, is what you need to hear. It's what we need to hear this morning. So the people who are following Jesus, by the time we get to Matthew 13, were grappling with the same kinds of things that I've just been talking about. You see, leading up to Matthew 13, for Jesus and for his followers, there's started to be increasingly rejection and trouble. And we've seen this as we've worked our way through Matthew, haven't we? A few weeks back, John the Baptist was put in prison. Uh, and that led to doubt, didn't it? He sends this message to Jesus, are you, are you really the one? And then later on in that chapter, the people of Chorazin, the people of Bethsaida, reject Jesus. And then through, chap through chapter 12, the religious leaders, the ones you'd expect to accept the Son of God, reject Jesus. They attack Jesus. And so Jesus' followers, his disciples, they could well be wondering, is Jesus really the one? Should I really risk all for this guy if, if all it leads to is trouble? Or should I just hold back? Should I apply the handbrake? Should I play it safe? And so in Matthew 13, Jesus speaks into this situation. And the essence of what he says is, you need to understand what the kingdom is really like. See, if you get that wrong, there will be a holding back. There could be doubt. There could be all sorts of fear. But if you get that right, if you understand what the kingdom is really like, you'll be unleashed to live for Jesus, to live handbrake off Christianity. So we, you and I, we need to know what the kingdom is like. So let's have a look. What is it? like? What is the kingdom like? We're going to look at a series of parables, uh, five parables in three groups, and we're going to see three things about what the kingdom is like. First one, it's hidden now. The kingdom is hidden now. Uh, have a look from verse 31. There's a couple of very short parables which, uh, make, where Jesus makes this point. Verse 31, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the kingdom is like a mustard seed starts small starts as something unimpressive something you can hardly see something that's not powerful or dominating or in control 
and then it gets planted. And even then, for a time, you, you can't see anything. When you can see something, you see some small little shoot, something small, something weak. But eventually, what's it going to become? The largest, strongest plant in the whole garden. That is what the kingdom's like, says Jesus. Right now it's small, it's unimpressive. But one day, one day when Jesus returns, it's going to dominate the landscape. It's going to be the biggest and most powerful and most wonderful thing. But not yet. Not now. Now it's hidden. What it really is, it's full amazing glory and wonder. It's hidden unless we have eyes to see. You can't tell just by looking at it now, what it's going to become then. The second parable teaches the same thing, doesn't it? It's uh, the kingdom of, of heaven is like leaven or, or yeast. And, and the yeast that they used back then wasn't powder like we have now. It was this little bit of fermenting dough. And it was mixed in or hidden in with the flour and it was kneaded. And Jesus says the kingdom's like that. It's like that little bit of fermenting dough. At the point when it's mixed in, it's hidden in with the rest and you can't see it. It's unimpressive. You can't tell that that little bit of dough is going to permeate the whole thing, change the whole thing, control the whole thing and what it becomes. That's what the kingdom's like. Just like a mustard seed, just like a bit of leaven or yeast, it's got this incredible potential, but right now it's still small. It's still unimpressive. It will eventually be everything, but right now... We can't see that. Right now, it's hidden. Now, I think this would have really shocked the people that were listening to Jesus at the time. See, they were people who were waiting for the kingdom. They had been waiting for centuries. But what they were waiting for was a King David-type kingdom. You see, in their history, the Israelite people, they had King David who'd established this amazing kingdom, which was called the kingdom of God, Uh, And he'd established it by winning wars and and establishing political control and enforcing God's law in the land. That was how he set up God's kingdom in Israel. And in in the centuries since David, all of that had been lost and they were now being oppressed by other empires. But that's what they were hoping for again. And then Jesus turns up and he says he's bringing the kingdom. And their hopes get higher and higher. But what's this kingdom like, this kingdom that Jesus is going to bring? What's the metaphor that Jesus uses to picture it? A mighty ox or an oak or a lion? No, a mustard seed or a little bit of fermenting dough. It's hidden now. It's active. It's growing. It's arrived, but it's hidden. See, unless you're a gardener, when you look at a mustard seed, you have no idea what it's going to become one day. And unless you've got eyes to see, when you look at the kingdom now, you have no idea what it's going to become one day. So the disciples, they they were wishing for this sort of David-style political control type of kingdom. What is it that we might be wishing for? I reckon at the very least, we'd wish that if we become followers of this king, everything would go right. Yeah, if we follow his his commands to invite others to know him, they'd say yes. But it's not always like that, is it? Why not? It's because the kingdom is hidden now. Not everyone has seen it yet for what it is, which means that lots of people are going to reject it without realising what it is they're rejecting. This 
all-powerful, all-encompassing kingdom that it's going to one day be, it's not yet visible for all to see. And that means that doing kingdom work, following Jesus, obeying Jesus, sometimes can be hard, sometimes can lead to rejection or trouble. So what's Jesus' point in all this? I think his point here is that we mustn't be fooled by appearances. When we see the kingdom looking apparently weak, let's not be fooled. When we see people reject it, don't be fooled. When we see kingdom people, followers of Jesus, suffer for following Jesus, don't be fooled. The kingdom will be great. That, that tiny seed, it will become the largest plant. That little bit of fermenting dough will permeate the whole thing. What is small, weak and hidden now, it will be glorious then. I remember when uh, my son Liam first started watching sport a few years back now, we'd sit down and watch something together and I'd ask him, who are you going for? And he'd always say, not sure yet, Dad. And we'd keep watching and he'd keep saying not sure yet until the last five minutes of the game when it was obvious who was going to win and then he'd tell me who he was going for. (laughs) Jesus' message here is don't do that with the kingdom. Don't hold back now. Don't be a handbrake Christian now just to wait and see what becomes of it. See, in this, in this age, the kingdom is hidden. But we need to realise what it's going to become and then put everything we have into it now, knowing what it's going to become. No holding back. If, if we share Jesus with someone, invite someone to, kn- to know Jesus and they reject us, we just keep inviting people, keep inviting others. If we live out the kingdom values and it causes us trouble or causes us to lose money because we're giving it away and that's hard, We don't stop. We keep doing it. We throw everything into it now, knowing what it's going to become. So, what is the kingdom like? That's that's our first point this morning. It's hidden. It's hidden now. Let's move on to the second point. The second point is, it's worth it. This is what Jacob was talking about when we started this morning. And let's, let's have a look at verses 44 to 46, where Jesus tells a couple more parables to make this point. From verse 44, I'm going to read. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So back then there were no banks as we we have them now. And so when people had a whole lot of wealth, uh, what they would sometimes do is actually bury it in a field. It's not just a um, crazy sort of fairy tale idea. It actually did happen back then sometimes. And they would especially do that if there was war or there was some invading army that was approaching. They'd want to hide away their goods. Then sometimes what happens, of course, is the invading army succeeded and the person who hid the treasure died and you'd end up with this treasure hidden that no one actually knew about. And it might be there for some time before someone stumbled across it. And that's the scenario that Jesus paints for us today. Someone stumbles across this incredible treasure and what does he do? He immediately realises, wow, this is... This is worth more than anything I've ever owned. And and so he he hides it up, covers it up, goes and sells everything he's got uh, so that he can buy the field and own what's in it, own the treasure. 
Now, I just want to say this is not a lesson in ethics. This is not a lesson for what we should do if you find a $20 note. Uh, it's just a point that Jesus is making. What is that point? He's, the point is, this is what the kingdom is like. It's something of immeasurable value. But at the same time, it, it's hidden. It's valuable, but it's hidden. Not everyone sees it for what it actually is. But for the person who does, the person with eyes to see, the person who recognizes just how valuable it is, it's, it's worth giving up everything to get it. No sacrifice is going to be too great. That's what the kingdom is like. It's worth it. And the, and the second parable uh, makes this same point. Uh, that second parable, we've got this wholesale pearl dealer. He's on a professional trip. He's looking for that great pearl for his business. And then he finds the one. It's so amazing. It's so wonderful. He's willing to sell everything else just to get that one pearl. The point, it's the same thing. This is what the kingdom is like. It's worth it. It's worth more than everything else we have combined. So being a a kingdom person, a follower of Jesus, living out kingdom ways, it might actually cost us a lot. It might involve great sacrifice. In fact, if you read through Matthew's Gospel, as we have been doing, and as we will continue to do, you see lots of times where Jesus says, follow me uh, and you take up your cross. Follow me, you leave everything behind. Follow me, you may have no place to lay your head. Follow me, you might lose your life. He says this over and over again to the people who are following him. And it's the same for us if we're following Jesus today. If we follow Jesus today, obey his commands, we might be rejected, we might be mocked, we might be ostracized, uh, we might bring some kind of trouble on ourselves, we might be worse off financially because we're giving our money to other people. We might bring someone to faith and have a new friend for eternity. But, but even if all those hard things happen, the point is that it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth infinitely more than all those things we might lose combined. Uh, earlier on in, the, in this talk, I, I shared the story about Anto, that guy who turned up and had those people say, come back here again and, and we'll kill you. Um, I remember sitting with Anto and he was trying to talk, uh, just, he was trying to reflect what he should do next. He really wanted to, f- to follow up this new couple who'd come to faith, but he'd had this death threat put out on him. We actually read this, this parable, uh, this parable about the hidden treasure. And I said, well, what do you think Jesus would say to you about this question that you're facing? And he said, I think Jesus would say that I might face trouble if I continue to see this couple, but it's worth it. And he did. He, he, he followed them up. They met somewhere secret in another neighborhood and he discipled them. And a few months later, this couple said to Anto, following Jesus is proving really hard for us. Our community has cut us off. It means that uh, it's harder for us to get work. Uh, we're financially, we've lost family, money, and all these things. And, and they were just expressing this, should we keep following? Uh, and Anto actually got out the same parable and read it with them. I said, what do you think Jesus would say to you about your scenario? And they basically said the same thing. Uh, we might face trouble, uh, but it's worth it. The kingdom is worth it. If you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever 
struggled with this sort of driving with the handbrake on version of following Jesus, where you've heard some of Jesus' radical commands, but you're holding, just holding back because of what it might cost you. See, I think if you have, what we have here is a really wonderful help with that problem. You see, I think these parables help us to see that, that deep down, our problem might be that we think that all those other things that we might lose, whether it's comfort or safety or a good job or a good house or an income or friends, all of those good things, deep down we might think that all of those things are the most important things for us. But we need to realise how valuable the kingdom is. It's, it's more valuable than all of those things put together. And when we understand that, then we'll be willing to risk it all for the kingdom. But the more we let that sink in, the more we'll be willing to sacrifice, more that we'll be willing to obey. And it won't just be a begrudging obeying. I don't know if you noticed in verse 44, it said, in his joy, he went and sold everything. It was his initiative. He wanted to and he was joyful because he realized just how valuable the kingdom is. So if we find ourselves holding back, uh, if we think that in some sense we're driving with the handbrake on, here's the solution. It's not just to grit our teeth and try harder to obey Jesus. It's to find the joy that comes in obeying him when we see just how valuable the kingdom is, when that really does sink in. Okay, so our question today has been, what is the kingdom like? We've seen two answers so far. Firstly, it's hidden. Secondly, it's worth it. And now the third and final one is, it's coming. It's coming. This is that last parable uh, from Jesus, from verses 47 to 50. I'm going to read those out now. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full... Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's coming. The kingdom is coming. Right now, the good fish and the bad fish, which in this little picture means those who've accepted Jesus and those who have not, they're all swimming together in the same sea. But a day will come, says Jesus, when, when all the fish will be dragged up in the net and tipped out onto the beach and, and, and sorted. That's what fishermen used to do in those days. And Jesus said, that's a picture of what the angels are going to do on that final day. And now, while the kingdom is still hidden, we don't see that. But on that day, those who've rejected Jesus, who've rejected the kingdom, will enter into a horrible eternity. And those who've recognized the kingdom for what it is, who've accepted Jesus, will enter into a perfect eternity. And so Jesus' point is, don't hold back now. Live for the kingdom now, in light of what is coming on that day. It is coming. The kingdom is is coming. Yes, there are mixed responses now. There's, there's rejection now. There's trouble now. Even suffering now. But a day is coming when the kingdom will be revealed. Okay, it's, it's time to wrap up. Uh, next week here at City Light, we're beginning a, a four-week series uh, on, the, on doubt. And it's a series where we'd really love to connect 
with people who are, are not, maybe not yet followers of Jesus or, or not uh, part of a church because there's some doubt, there's some blockage.